children and teens. Hospital and doctor visits, prescriptions, shots, and more are covered. That's peace of mind for parents if a child is sick or gets injured. And parents may now be eligible for Medicaid, too, even if they've applied in the past. Enrollment is always open. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-877-KIDS-NOW. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I am here and so is Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. And you know it's a cold morning when Merle shows up wearing a coat. It's, it's, it's impressive, I tell people, you know. I you very rarely wear a coat, so it must really be cold out there. Well, generally when it's less than 10, then I'll throw one on. <laughs> okay. Other than that, uh, all right. yeah, no, it's, it's all right. All right, 715-845-2155. We'll be here for about the next 50 minutes or so to take your questions regarding your portfolio, your investments, your retirement accounts, whatever the case may be. Today would be the day to get your questions answered. Two words, of course, dominated the news this week. One was inflation. One was Ukraine. I guess, which one would you like to start with and give us your uh, impressions on how it's going to affect the markets going forward? To everybody listening and Tom, I suggest you guys go get a cup of coffee. Sit down. Big Daddy Merle's here. Got a lot of conversation about all Okay. This all right. All right. Lay it you on know, us. You know, it really kind of comes down to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, oil, oil, oil. It all comes down to oil, oil, oil. It also comes down into us trying to be a carbonless society in the next 25 years. It all kind of comes down into the same place and the same thing and a whole bunch of stupidity and politics and everything else. But it all comes down to one word, oil, or oil, 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 however you want to say it. So inflation is something that happened as a result of the, the, uh, uh, the pandemic, of course. But it continues to keep going out there, exaggerated because of oil. Um, Russia really is, wants to go after Ukraine because Russia wants to continue to keep selling more oil. But magically, guess where um, Russia ran most of its pipelining through to get it out of the area and uh, get it out? They ran it through Ukraine, and they don't have it anymore, and so now they have to keep getting um, uh, jabbed by Ukraine to run its oil through and increases in prices. We then add to this the European Union, uh, where one of the biggest economies inside of Europe, of course, is Germany, 
uh, decided that um, even though nuclear power plants do not have any sort of a carbon emission, uh, they want to shut down their 19 nuclear power plants and don't have an alternative. We ha then have England, who has 25% of their power by windmills, which is fantastic, except if the wind isn't blowing, then it drops to 7% of their power. So the replacement for this stuff has been liquefied natural gas or natural gas, and guess where 40% of the gas, natural gas, and oil comes from to heat and run Europe? It comes from Russia. So this really kind of comes down to a sword fight, for lack of a better term, back and forth because of oil, oil, oil. So a lot of this could be alleviated and fixed if we would simply have the chutzpah in America to say, all right, we're going to pause some of all these rules that we had with expansion and growing of our natural gas, of our oil and so forth, of being energy independent in the U.S., and say we're going to start pumping this stuff out where we have supplies where we can send it to Europe, so that helps alleviate some of their issues and problems. It also helps drop the prices so that it doesn't, isn't as worth as much to uh, actors and players in this, such as Russia, who wants to go after Ukraine. We could do this sort of stuff. Matter of fact, it would also then drop inflation at the same time. Um, because if our fuel prices are less, um, our prices are less at the store, starts dropping inflation. And it really kind of comes down to oil, oil, oil. Now, will we go into war? I don't know. I think not. Um, and a lot of the bets in the marketplace are saying that we don't go to war. And Russia doesn't go to war because it doesn't want to disrupt their money that they're getting because of the oil, oil, oil as well. Uh, but there's going to be a give and take someplace. And go. Well, it sure, <laughs> it sure looks like uh, that the invasion is going to happen. It's, I think and it's possible. It's not just oil. It's also the fact that they don't want Ukraine to become a member of NATO, and they don't want NATO forces uh, right on their doorstep. Well, because the NATO controls their oil. I mean, that's the whole issue. You know, right now they can't, they're not getting their pipeline going into Germany because Germany said, if you're going to, you know, we're, we're not going to take it, even though, quite honestly, Germany needs that. Pipeline. I think yeah, I think I agree with you that we're not going to get into a shooting war with Russia. The president has already said there will not be American soldiers on the ground in Ukraine because when Russians and and Americans start shooting at each other, that basically is a world war at that point. Uh, there are troops that are being sent over in support roles in other parts of Eastern Europe, but uh, how is the market going to react? How is it how is it reacting already with the invasion being imminent and how is it going to react once the tanks start rolling across the border, which could happen, as we have heard over and over again here any day now? No, I don't have the article sitting up in front of me, folks. I'm having a terrible iPad problem, so I don't have the article sitting in front of me. But there's an article that went through and said, what do the market markets do after some sort of a conflict or a war or something of this nature breaks out? And it always starts out with the jitters at first, even going back to 9-11. Um, matter of fact, 9-11, the first week, they couldn't make the measure because, of course, after 9-11, none of the markets were open for almost a week. Um, but afterwards, within six weeks, the marketplaces were already back up where they were and continue to keep going on. Remember, the stock market is going to be based upon profits of companies and corporations. Like it or not, I'm not touting it, but usually some sort of a conflict goes on. There's a lot of goods and services that have to be manufactured, made, purchased, bought to help support whatever conflict that might be, and it tends to drive up the markets. So volatility, yeah, we're going to see probably a bunch of volatility. Continuing on, um, I think we still see volatility for the next few weeks, um, even still as a result of two things. Ukraine, which has been the bigger vol biggest volatility uh, market this, this past week, um, and the first interest rate hike, of course, uh, coming up inside of March, which the Federal Reserve said is going to happen, uh, hopefully to help thwart um, inflation.
Uh, the odds makers are keep going back and forth, and as some of the volatility we saw last week was whether it's going to be a quarter point or a half point increase inside of March. Um, I hope they may get a half a percent and, and try to get ahead of the curve with uh, um, inflation. But um, And so we're going to continue to see all those things happen from a volatility standpoint. But usually a conflict like this, it makes jitters, but it does not drive down the marketplace if we look at essentially the last uh, 20 conflicts that have been out. Now, you've got you've got the sectors of the market that are affected more by inflation than others. There was a story on MarketWatch, and I can't access it for some reason, that suggests that there are a number of stocks that people are touting as to be bargains at this point because of inflation, that other stocks are being affected negatively, but there are some there are going to be some buys out there, and we've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Whenever some stocks go down, there are other stocks that uh, go up and go down, and there are buying opportunities no matter what the market is doing. So I know you can't talk about individual stocks, but at least sectors at this point uh, in this time of high inflation, what sectors are looking good as, at this point as buying opportunities? Well, you know, the things you look at is if, a, if a, an economy starts going crazy, which our economy really isn't going crazy. It's the markets right now. Again, folks, we say it the time, uh, time and time again, but the market is trying to predict going forward if it can. And so with that prediction, it makes today volatile in a marketplace, even though the economy is still doing just fine. So um, the areas you look at right now is they call it flight to safety. So the flight to safety is this. I'm not going to go with the Tom and Merle small cap company that just started out two years ago, even though their sales are good. I'm going to go with the uh, Jones and Harry, uh, big, large company that keeps making their widgets, and every year their widgets keep making a profit, and they keep growing a little bit. And so you tend to have that flight from the Tom and Merle to the Harry and Larry or whatever he said to begin with. Um, you send that, you see that, that, that flight to safety is called. So typically your big, large cap companies tend to be the place to go to. And you tend to have money moving over into the energy sector. And when I say that, I don't mean utilities. Um, we've had a whole bunch of people saying, well, I want to buy a bunch of utilities. What do we do with utilities? And that's a different conversation at the moment. What they mean is energy, like oil and gas stocks. And if the oil and pr- gas stocks keep going up in price, we're going to see you know profits coming out of that and great profits. And so shifting those types of things. Eventually, when interest rates go up, we can start buying bonds again. And we're getting there. We're starting to get pretty close to that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I read somewhere this week that uh, this has been a pretty good year for small cap companies. You're suggesting that's going to change here going forward because of inflation, that small caps are not going to be a place to be right now? Historically, what happens is as an economy starts having a flight to safety, um, small cap company money just simply moves away from them. I'm not saying it has anything to do with the profitability of companies, but that's historically what occurs. They call it defensive stocks and not defense as in weapons, defensive stocks as in um, holding up your portfolio and so forth. Now, if you own you know, mutual fund portfolios, folks, a lot of your, you know, the managers in the mutual funds, whether you have XYZ family or whichever family it might be or ABC or HIJ or some sort of a random uh, letter, those managers are already doing this sort of stuff. They're already making some of those shifts. You know, we can see evidence all the time that things are going on inside of the marketplace with a shift and changes of money whenever we see that stock market drop off. So I can't tell you how many times over the course of the last three or four weeks we see the stock market drop off five, 600 points. At one day, I remember it was a 1,000-point drop, and at the end of the day, we ended up positive. And so it's a, a big tell with that. We see the market keep dropping down. All of a sudden, it starts driving up at the end of the day, and it's cash that's on the sidelines that are going up and buying stuff on sale. And so we're seeing that, and that's showing strength in the marketplace. So the, the economic world is it's okay. I mean, we're, we're doing just fine. I'm not saying it's tremendous, but it's okay. It's doing just fine. 
those hasn't big, changed over yet. Those big daily shifts must ta- make the day traders like uh, gulp down Pepto-Bismol by the gallon <laughs> when that stuff happens, right? There's, it reminds me, and I've, I've used it before, but it, was, it still just cracks me up because it was actually a real thing that I saw. Uh, Tom, you and I are both young enough. Remember uh, when they had, have you seen that child on the milk cartons when we were kids? Right. So you have your morning cereal and there's the kids. Uh, well, now we don't eat morning cereal anymore because we're all carb conscious, but nonetheless, uh, it had a, a, an article in our industry, and, and this was probably about, oh, geez, I'd have to say um, 2000, maybe 99, somewhere in there. And it says, have you seen this broker? And had day trader underneath on the picture. <laughs> you know, the, so you, the, the whipsawing kills you if you're a day trader. I mean, and, and, and you know, whipsawing kills anybody. But if you're putting money in for three years or five years, the stuff that's happening today, two years from now, is just going to be a blip on a radar. It's not going to matter as long as we have a continuing growing and, and, and expanding economy. So hopefully we, we, uh, we get through this with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and I think there's going to be some sort of a, um, a, a balance in here that they're going to, you know, Russia's going to get something, European Union's going to get something, um, and Ukraine gets left alone. Um, and Russia just needs Or Ukraine gets, gets hung out to dry like it's happened many times in history. The poor schmucks in the middle always get dumped on by the big guys, regardless of which side is doing the dumping. All right, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back. News Talk Sports, WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates, joining us here on the program today. 715-845-2155, the number to call if you have a question for Merle. You know, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I have something I have to put in here. I had to find my earbuds, by the way, otherwise I would have stopped you sooner. And we were talking about the Eagles Club beforehand. And, folks, if you, it's, you know, it's like a beautiful 70-day degree day uh, for ice fishing today on the lake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you're inside of a in shack. shack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we have our second annual uh, Chuck Knobloch Memorial Ice Fishing Event, which has started right now. Um, uh, the fishing is just getting going. You can still register all day to go out there. We have a bunch of prizes. Tom, we've got to, I mean, even if you don't ice fish, you got to go down for the raffles. we got two 50-inch color TVs for raffle and a mountain of other things that are out there. Um, and they have prizes that keep going throughout the course of the day on the raffles. You go buy 10, 15 bucks for the tickets. Um, all the money that we uh, we raise on this uh, goes for scholarships. I'm not part of that. This is not my event, so I'm not a chair, but uh, they give scholarships out for kids. Um, so watch for that if you have some kids going to school, as well as go down, have a good time, have some Bloody Marys, all that sort of thing. I've never seen the uh, the thrill of ice fishing that other people see. I don't know about you. Um, I went ice fishing two weeks ago, and uh, some people actually ice fished. Ah, I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sort of like when you go deer hunting and don't take the rifle out of the case. Is Same that what principle. it is? Yeah. yeah so we have the, I mean, you have the tools of the trade, but you just don't really go too much. Yeah. yeah, we've got the situation going on about the Canadian border with the truckers blocking the Ambassador Bridge and, uh, and uh, slowing down the, uh, the auto plants and a number of other, other companies. You know, not to get too political here, but it's fascinating to me that the same people who hated the social justice protests have no problem with a protest that is shutting down the economy and causing the auto plants to not be able to build their cars because they can't get their parts. Well, uh, I, I think the, the the difference is nothing's burning yet. I Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But um, so this situation now, um, obviously, the, the uh, authorities have given the police uh, permission to start clearing off the bridge and getting the trucks out of there. How they're going to do that, I don't know because <laughs> bigger trucks to pull them out. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. But yeah. but uh, what does this mean at least short term for the auto industry? Obviously, they can't get the parts they need to, to build uh, their cars. And in fact, some of the auto plants I saw today were talking about using an airlift 
to get the parts from Canada to the United States and vice versa to avoid the bridges altogether. Yeah. Uh, sort of like the Berlin airlift when they were bringing in food, they're going to be bringing auto parts that way. You know, a lot of that was happening at the beginning of the, the pandemic as things were starting to open back up. There were companies that were actually chartering chartering their own flights from wherever, whether it was you know Singapore or China or wherever, to bring their goods and services. Um, I believe Walmart was one of the biggest ones that they could have their pipeline and just chartering their trucks. And so, you know, I, I – I, I get it. I, I get the protest. I understand the protest. I'm there. It makes sense. Okay, it's enough. Let's let's get business going. Um, that's just kind of my opinion on that. But I want to make sure I cite this article because this is what I was talking about before, folks. I was talking about you know the oil, oil, oil in the pipelines. Um, it's an article by uh, William Watts, and it's a great big long title. I'll give you the beginning part. Uh, beginning part. It says what a Russian invasion of Ukraine would mean for markets as the White House, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to make sure I cited that, Tom. Because we are compliant. <laughs> well, that, I mean, program. that's that's probably got to be most of the questions you're getting from clients these days who call you on the phone or, or email you is uh, what's going to happen if, in fact, there is a war and what's going to happen if, in fact, this inflation yeah. doesn't get uh, whipped into shape by the, the folks at the Fed. And, and we look at this and it's, it's an inflationary, I'm sorry, inflationary, it's a historical thing. That's all we really have to go from. Um, I don't like the history of two things happening, which is inflation and rising fuel prices. I don't like that combination. Um, we saw this happen back in the seventies. It didn't really work out so hot at that particular. Oh, we could get our we could bring back the wind buttons. You remember those <laughs> whip inflation? Now those oh, little wind bu- what well, buttons. Well, we had to wore? kill the economy at that time yeah. to bring it back again. So um, I don't think we're at that particular point in time as long as we don't have rising taxes, which also happened in that period of time. But um, but I think we, we can get it if we have we increase interest rates a little bit and slow the economy down a tab. But we got to get the, the, the oil fields and stuff open back up, and we got to get that stuff going. Not only so we become energy independent back again in the country, which I think was a mistake that we stopped doing that. But if this thing continues to happen with Ukraine and with everything going with Russia, um, Europe's going to need fuel. You know, I mean, they're, they uh, 40% of their natural gas and stuff comes from Russia. And if that shuts off, they're going to need it. And if we're not ramping up now, we're making a mistake for not only our allies, but we're making us a mistake for uh, uh, you know, the, the money we well, can if, make for if, our companies. If Russia invades and we put all of these economic sanctions on that uh, the West is talking about doing, uh, they're going to have to sell their oil somewhere. I mean, in order, otherwise, they're, they're, they're not going to have any money in Russia. I mean, how, how are they going to survive if, they're, if, they're, if that's, the money that's the supply whole is choked up? sword fight going back and forth. If you do this, we'll do this. And it's going to be essentially who blames. You know, the, the beautiful part about this is. I don't think Putin actually is able to blink. Have you ever seen him? He looks like a reptile. His eye, it, 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 well, yeah, I mean, when you hit the same age as Putin and Biden, the eyelids barely close <laughs> at that point. In time. All, right, all, right. all right. Hey, I tell you what, we need to take a break for some news. We're going to come back with more. If you have a question for Merle regarding anything, your stock portfolio, more local issues, things like that, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. When I was in Iraq, our convoy was hit. It was bad. After I came home, I could still hear booms and see tracer fire. Makes it hard to be a good mom. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. When I'm at home. Hey, this is a great scenario. WSAU. When you're at home. And WSAU.com. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, 
Grove Point Financial and Kelch and Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates. And uh, you said you had an article that popped up that you wanted to talk about because it's got some good stuff in it. You know, so this, this article I popped up this morning just as I was getting ready to leave home and come here to the studio. Um, and I didn't get a chance to browse through it, and I just did. And, and it's, a, it's a brilliant article. And if you want some uh, counter-opinion to all the stuff that we're seeing in the news, hey, my, it actually worked. Um, so it's an article. It's an opinion piece that's out there by Michael Brush. Um, so you can find this on marketwatch.com. Uh, and his opinion piece says, inflation fears are overblown. Five reasons why you need to buy the dip in the stock market. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, Tom, when we see the stock market go down, all of a sudden it's positive at the end of the day the amount of cash that's flowing into it. Um, and in here, he references a, a number of different points. And inside of these points, um, he's looking at, you know, uh, you know, are we going to go into a 70-style wage spiral, sort of like we talked about before where Paul Booker, you know, literally had to kill the economy to start all over again to fight the inflation. And, and, and their opinion is no. And, and most of these I've read articles on throughout the course of the last number of months. One of the biggest ones is the supply side issues are, are a, a fixable problem, and they are getting better. So I heard this one instead of an article probably two months ago from uh, Brian Westbury, um, and uh, he's an economist, and, and he talked about, he said, I think the economy is going to continue to improve throughout the course of 22 because the supply side issues are getting fixed or getting repaired as long as we don't have truckers blocking up bridges. Okay, a little extra commentary in there for you. But so any of the supply side issues, Supply chain issues are improving, and we can see numerically, and of course he has all the beautiful ga- graphs with pretty colors and all that kind of stuff on here. Um, but in here, the orders that are coming up and delivery times are getting better. They are improving. So as we're able to get the supply chain fixed, we're going to have the ability to more easily make our widgets and to make them cheaper because we're not having to have as many prices. And so from an inflationary standpoint, that could actually improve. Interestingly enough, where most of the inflation is happening right now is inside of fuel, which drives then the prices of food, and cars. And so if we can fix those, it'd be fantastic. The de- dem- the demand shock is waning, he has for a number of reasons, for number two. And, you know, we look at this, folks, and we look at the business on pre-pandemic, the, the business right now, and there's really not a lot of difference in most areas. Uh, maybe inside of the movie sector, but you know what? If we see movies less, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let all them weirdos out in California starve to death. No, that can't say that. That's not right. Nonetheless. Uh, humor, obviously, and there you caught that. But you know, in here, the business from pre-pandemic to now was relatively the same. But because of the amount of cash that came out of the pandemic with stimulus and so forth, we had an enormous amount of money called M1 Money Supply. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we had all this cash, which created not only the demand we had before, but it was demand plus one. We had just a huge amount of demand for goods and services afterwards because we all had cash to spend. So as a result of it, we could get all of our workers back, but it wasn't enough. Then it wasn't enough to do what we had pre-pandemic because we needed that same amount of business plus more because of all the new stuff, and that created a big shock to the um, supply cycle that we weren't able to get there because even the supply cycle was getting turned back on. And how do we get the containers from one place to another, et cetera, et cetera? And so that also is starting to repair itself. Um, so he continues on, cites it with more beautiful graphs and that kind of stuff. So productivity is actually increasing. You know, the amount of productivity we're having per worker is actually going up, and we're putting out more and more goods and services currently. Um, And as a result of that, then, um, not only does the supply chain get better, but we're making more of it, and we're getting more efficient at doing it, um, and people are getting uh, wage increases as a result, inflation uh, notwithstanding at this point. 
So one of the biggest things in here, and this is part of that inflationary thing, and this is reason number four they think the economy and the marketplace should grow, is that money supply is uh, growth is slowing. Now, this sounds kind of goofy, folks, but hold on with me. So M2 money supply is like your savings accounts and, and checking accounts and, and, and that kind of stuff uh, that you have. And I'm just trying to be oversimplistic with that, CDs. And, and so with it, we had, an av- we had a, a record amount of savings in America after COVID. Two reasons. One, when we're all locked down and closed in, we weren't going out and spending as much. Um, uh, you know, I know a few friends of mine, it says my wife was, you know, locked at home with Amazon prime and she spent a ton. All right. Tongue in cheek, a little bit of humor. I'm good there. I can't spend. And then we gave a whole bunch of extra cash going out there. So really loaded up the savings accounts and that kind of stuff. And so, um, our annual, um, amount of savings that we had, we haven't seen in 50 years, the amount that's put away. And so as a result, um, Morton, Morton Freeman used to say, you know, uh, if you want to follow inflation, follow the M2 money supply, and you'll see where inflation is going. And it's really kind of true. You can see where it is. Well, that M2 money supply is actually dropping off. It's coming down quite a bit. And as a result of that, then, um, we're also starting to see uh, um, inflationary fears slowing as a result of that in itself, and as well as interest rates going up. So that in itself might correct itself going forward. All right, let's take a phone call here. Let's go to the phone. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Good morning, uh, Tom and Merle. Steve from Plover here this morning. Go ahead, Steve. Steve. What's on your mind? Good morning. Uh, Not ready for ice fishing, but waiting for the baseball season to start. (laughs) If it does, hopefully. Yes. Uh, Thinking about uh, the uh, mutual funds and stock accounts, Merle, Uh uh, my Fidelity account, uh, managed account, lost 6 k uh, on 200k just in the month of January here. Mm-hmm. Not bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we've seen many that were up, um, you know, depending upon the you day. Know, so, so I, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've had it for a long time, but anyway, it just, you know, and I'm wondering what your guys would opinion would be about if 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 this war thing happens. And, uh, you know, what we might expect in stock and mutual fund accounts going forward. So, you know, Steve, I understand it's speculation, but I'd appreciate your opinion on it this right. morning. All right. Thanks for the and, call. And, 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 Steve, your question is like many others. What's going to happen? In fact, I have a note down here for a question. I had a client literally just yesterday. Um, you know, in here, the statistics are, and I don't have the article sitting in front of me, but uh, there was just an article that was in here that talked about what happens during conflict. And um, I'm not sure we're going to call this a war or the U.S. is going to go into it. But uh, in the last, and they cited the, the last 20 conflicts, uh, 19 of them, the stock market within a couple of days was actually starting to go back up after the start of the conflict. Uh, but it noted volatility at, in the beginning of it because as things settle out and say, what's going to happen? Um, um, so, so with it, it would appear as though, historically speaking, as though if a, a conflict does happen, uh, we're going to continue to see some volatility in the marketplace. But it's just straightening itself out, looking at what the economic conditions are of our underlying economy. And right now they're okay. And so then as we talked about, you know, are we going to be supplying goods and services to help aid in the rebuilding, the growth, uh, whatever might have to be as part of the conflict? And does that drive then to the bottom line, excuse me, of something inside of America? And so that's what we have to look at. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, that's what's happened at this point in time. Well, for a, for an account like he's talking about that lost a chunk like that, a big percentage in a, in one month, does that 
does that mutual fund have to be rebalanced at this point, or do you just ride it out? It's eventually going to go back up. I mean, how do you- I'm not looking at the fund, but I would guess probably not. So, you know, if you're down 3% throughout the course of January, uh, you could be down 6% the, the day after the down for 3%, and some people are going up. But the trend has been um, that the losses are becoming less and less over the course of, well, until the last two days, um, over the course of the last number of weeks. It's been improving. Um, and I would imagine that um, Steve is not in many, uh, is not in much of a different place than the rest of us. That's just my guess, Steve. So all in all, I would say talk to um, whoever the financial professional you're working with and ask questions um, and get some information on that. But chances are um, don't do a knee-jerk reaction would be my guess. Now, in here, I want to put something in there. We have a, a client of ours who really nervous about the marketplace because they're saying, well, look how much money went down. I said, yeah, well, your, your account's down that amount of money, but if there's a percentage of total, it doesn't matter. So we made a spreadsheet for this client uh, over a year ago because they were nervous at the po- that point in time. So the stock market take off, their investments took off, everything went well. So we went through and we said, here's our portfolio a year ago, and here's what your income is going to be per month when you retire a year from now. And now they're approaching retirement. So the stock market's um, eh, it's down a little bit, but not a much. Well, it's a big dollar amount, but I'm talking about percentage, Tom. So remember, you know, you could be down 50000 but that could be a small percentage of the overall total, depending upon your portfolio. But we look at it, his monthly income for retirement is going to be like $180 less per month if we keep all the, the all the everything the same. And, and so the question we simply ask then is, even though the market is down right now, or as Steve was just talking, you're down, you know, 3% for the month, is it going to change your retirement that much? And if your retirement is dependent upon 180 bucks a month, then you probably shouldn't retire and you should save a little bit more. And so people don't look at that. They look at the dollar amount. They don't look at it and say, well, what happens from the income standpoint? Because many people don't build their portfolios to look like that. I was doom scrolling on YouTube the other day and was watching Do- clips. Doom scrolling? That's what they call it when you are just you just keep scrolling on Twitter or social media and you get all the bad news just piled up on you and, and you know the world's going to hell and all that. I was watching clips from the. They big, make better websites, you know this, Tom, right? <laughs> I was watching clips from the Big Short, and uh, are we in a situation where, for people who are close to retirement age or maybe have just retired, that there could be a cataclysmic event in the market that would wipe out everything they've got, like like happened back in two thousand eight? Well, two thousand eight didn't wipe out everything they had. Well, for some people, it did. Well, some people who weren't diversified, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, you know, we had we had a lot of money of, of uh, assets under management in the marketplace, and magically they didn't lose uh, everything they had. So, you know, you can never say never on that stuff. But at this well, if you had your money time, in mortgage-backed securities back then, uh, it was a problem. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, I mean, you had significant issues, and if you had all your money in mortgage-backed securities, well, you weren't diversified, and whoever you're working with wasn't doing a good job for you. You know, so that was a 2008, folks, we were talking about in there, but. You know, so the diversification helps take care of that. I mean, so so the probability is so minute. I, I, I'd, I'd love to have a statistician to actually uh, tell me, um, are your odds of winning the lottery about the same as losing everything if you're in a properly diversified portfolio? So so if we take a, a, a and I'm just going to use a modern portfolio theory portfolio. So if we make a classic modern portfolio theory um, uh, portfolio, we put it together based upon the science, et cetera, et cetera. And we have large and medium and small and growth and value in U.S. and international and that whole bit. That would mean that all companies, all the U.S., the small cap, the large cap, the mid caps, 
all the international companies would all have to go broke all at the same time. And what's that probability? Enormously low. Now, is there a possibility of having a 30-point plunge? Well, 30% plunge? Well, that was 2008, you know, and and uh, by the time we reached the, the end of 2009 and 2010, almost all that was back already. So the people who had the knee-jerk reaction and pulled out in 2008 um, and then didn't, you know, didn't stay back in ended up losing the 30% and keeping it there because if they went in in 2011 and 2012, it was already too late. They didn't make the money back again. And so a lot of those people had made it back by now, but it's really been as, as a result of the last few years. All right, 715-845-2155. We need to take a break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question from Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Connolly. A man was accused of murder before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates. Let's go back to the phone this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is John. John, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, John. Hey, Merle. Uh, I've got a question for you. I mm-hmm. own shares in a company. Uh, basically, they're headquartered in Canada. But the shares trade... Uh, on the TSX Venture Exchange in Canada using Canadian dollars. But then the the same company is also listed uh, over-the-counter. It's basically the, uh, I'm not sure if this is the pink sheets or what, but it's Mm -hmm. the name of the the symbol of the company followed by the letter F. My question is, okay, say like, the markets closed yesterday. The American traded symbol, the American traded uh, equity, which I hold, lost 2.82% yesterday. But yet when I go to the, the symbol listed for the Canadian exchange, it was even. Why is the, my question is, why is there a difference percentage-wise between these two, the closing price, the closing price of these two, of the same company on different exchanges. They don't like That's Americans. That's my question. They don't like Americans. No, <laughs> just, just <decent. laughs> um, You know, really, probably, and, and I'm only speculating myself, um, probably the difference is because of the currency exchange. You're going from uh, uh, the Canadian, is it the Looney in Canada? Yeah, that's the nickname for it. Is that okay? What's the – I can't – oh, the pound, isn't it? Don't they use the pound? I'm terrible. I'm terrible. What does Canada call Well, it's the Canadian dollar. Canadian dollar. Okay, there we go. Why am I – we're a loony. But the thing is, the percentage – what I'm getting at is the percentage. Yeah. Um, One trades in Canadian dollars. Mm -hmm. The other trades in U.S. dollars. The percentage of gain or loss is never Mm -hmm. the same. I mean, it's – out of whack by far more than 
what the exchange rate. Sure. The, the only thing I can say is the exchange. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, I do. I do. Um, so the exchange rate is going to be part of it, I'm certain. Um, the other part of it is that, remember, the over-the-counter market is a bid-and-ask type of scenario. It's what somebody will pay or what somebody will sell. Maybe the analysts inside of Canada think that the stock is worth more or less than what the U.S. is or vice versa, and so that becomes it. Remember, um, at least in the over-the-counter marketplace as well as the rest, the stock is only worth what somebody's willing to buy it for. And so maybe people in America at this point in time with your individual stock think that it's not worth as much or it's not as desirable as it is inside of Canada. So it's not worth that the stock is worth, um, it's, you know, individual stock, and, and most people don't realize this, isn't worth $100 per share um, because the math says it's worth $100 per share. It's worth because somebody's math says it's worth $100 a share and people's wanting to buy and sell it um, to make it at $100 per share. But even though somebody's mass is worth $100 a share, somebody else might think, well, it's only worth 70 It's all we're going to pay. And it might drive that stock down. So the stock market itself is, is, a, is an open market that you're buying and selling. And it's what somebody's belief that that stock is worth. Uh, obviously, somebody's going to buy it. And when somebody buys it, it means somebody else sold it. So there just might be a difference in the stock price in addition to the exchange rate that are causing that fluctuation or that change. Okay, I was under the impression that the since it was a Canadian traded, uh, comp, uh, you know, Canadian headquartered company, that the over-the-counter price just mirrored the Canadian price, but was basically followed the Canadian price or mirrored. It I don't, you know, there, there's, with there's just, mirroring, with a little bit of delay. Yeah, every every stock I've ever heard that says we mirror something. They're always close, but but uh, it's, it's never exact. I don't I don't think I've ever seen one that's been exact. So the fluctuation of, of you know one or two percent um, really isn't all that much if we look at this over the long term because it'd be the other way too. Um, but I would I would guess we're probably accurate in this is because of the the bid and ask and, and what the markets are in buying and selling your individual stock, the beliefs in the U.S. versus the beliefs inside of Canada on what the stock might be worth. Um, I don't know that there'd be a systemic problem, but then again, um, I'm speculating on why that would be myself. Okay. All right. Thanks. For I call. probably Appreciate just created it. more questions than answers. But yeah, yeah, I mean, for somebody who doesn't deal with it all the time, maybe. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking quickly online here about this. There's there's a couple of hundred companies that are listed on both uh, the Canadian exchange and mm -hmm. and the U.S. exchanges, and it does say here that. Uh, Considering exchange rates and other complications, stock price should remain the same on both exchanges. If not, an arbiter will bring them together. Some companies find it difficult to monitor their share trading in two markets simultaneously and may need to initiate separate marketing and investor relations plans. So dual listings are, are there, interlisting or whatever it's called. But, uh, yeah, according to what I'm reading here, the prices are supposed to be pretty close to the same. So there must be something else going on there that, that causes mm -hmm. causing the problem he's talking about. Hey, we're almost out of time here today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? I'm not done yet. Well, sorry. We're out of time. Save right. whatever you've got for next week. Are you going to be here next week? Um, I think so. It's a <laughs> snowmobiling weekend, but uh, pretty sure we'll be here. But we'll either be here or live at the Palatial Estate. And okay. I'm, I'm hoping for here because it's going to be warmer. All right. So, nonetheless, folks, you can stop in and visit us. 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street in Wausau. Come on in, kick the tires, have a cup of coffee. You can give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Or outside of the Walsh area at 866-355-5100.
Or find us online at KelsterAssociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. Right, my friend. We've got a double header of sports for you later today here on WSAU. We've got the news on the way next, and the Polka Show is coming up. The Badger basketball team taking on Rutgers at the Kohl Center. Pre-game show at noon. The Badger hockey team hosting Notre Dame tonight, so they're going to have to take the basketball floor off quickly and uh, get set for hockey. And that's why it's starting a little bit later tonight. The Badgers in Notre Dame and hockey at 9 o'clock. Or make that 8 o'clock our time with the pregame show. But Badger basketball first up pregame show at noon here on WSAU. Introducing the Dan Boncino Show.